Good morning, church. Did you hear about the wooden tractor? Wooden tractor. We're going um, talking about the farm a little bit today, so I thought this was appropriate. So you haven't heard about the wooden tractor? It had wooden wheels, a wooden engine, a wooden transmission, and wooden work. <laughs> you got it, didn't you? So um, today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about my story. It's not really my story. Um, I'm part of it. But it is a story that um, I think is worth hearing. Albert Wesley Christian, Tup, Tuppence, his name was. He was known as Tup. And Olive Agnes Baker, and she was known as Ollie. They were both born in the year 1906. They met at the age of 15. And a romance blossomed, mainly on the tennis court. And apparently the word is that many games went to love all. (laughs) Neither of their families or siblings were Christ followers or even a church or even church attendees. Tup and Ollie, my grandparents, were married in 1925 at the Wilderness Methodist Church. And Ollie, at this stage, was four months pregnant. On the 26th of March, 1926, my dad came into the world on Nana's birthday too. What a birthday present. And Dad said Nana was never the same again. Not that he would know because he wasn't there before that, was he? Now, anyway, somebody took an interest and obviously had some concern and some compassion on this young, newly married couple. They were both only 19 years of age. This person that I said took some compassion on them, some concern on them, obviously understood these verses, which I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. And I get... And the words are, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. God has committed to us, his followers, his children, the ministry of reconciliation. 
committed that to us. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And therefore, what a beautiful thing it was as a young married couple, Tup and Ollie gave their hearts and their lives to God. Gave their all to God. They understood and believed that God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but shall gain eternal life. Now this was the start. This was the beginning of a chain of events over generations. It was a powerful work of God. And I often think, what if, what if that person had not invited Tup and Ollie to hear the gospel? What if that person had reneged on the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Living on a wheat and sheep farm at Willanabrina, you all know where that is, don't you? Come on. Just in the Wimmera, the northern fence of Grandad's property was... Um, ah, there's somebody over there who knows. Sure. The northern fence <coughs> of their property... Um, was the boundary between the Mallee in the north and the Wimmera on the south. Now, Grandpa and Nana had four children and they continued to grow in their newfound faith. They attended Brentwood Baptist Church and um, that's all that remains of the little church, a memorial stone. And I went there as a kid, Christian Endeavour, youth group, church. So they attended Brentwood Baptist Church and they became heavily involved in the Warwick Nabeel Convention and also Gideon's. And I'd just like to read to you a little footnote to... The um, paper that was used at Nana's Thanksgiving service at her funeral. And she had this put on the bottom. Nana was still up with it very much at 102 years of age. And um, she made sure this was put on the bottom of the uh, sheet. And this is what she had to say. The above tells something of the outward events of my journey through this earthly life, but nothing of the more important inner journey. Not long after our marriage, Tup and I found and were found by Jesus. And my journey ever since has been a walk with Jesus. It has not always been easy going, has had its ups and downs, but I never, I never walked alone. I have now passed over the other side and the walk with Jesus continues on. And typical of Nana, she was always thinking of others, may God bless you all with his love and grace. So three of their children 
chose to follow Jesus. And we're going to be sort of looking at different people in the family that down the line. Three of my three of their children chose to follow Jesus. My auntie Mona, dad's sister, married Ray Sprigg, and they were both exceptional tennis players. Uncle Ray, they say, could have gone on to great things as a tennis player. However, he chose to focus on Christ. <clears throat> and the verse up there says, and this was a powerful verse for him, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So this rangy boy from the bush became a Baptist minister. Firstly in inner Melbourne, South Yarra of all places. Pretty tough there in the housing commission area, those flats. Uncle Ray and Auntie Mona spent many years in full-time service to God and they still got to play some pretty serious tennis. They spent many years pastoring at Grovedale at Geelong and they spent a number of years at a Bible college um, school uh, in Zambia, Fawali Hill, teaching the native people, the, the national people, um, the Bible and, and um, training pastors. And then I also spent many, many days and many hours helping to build a campsite for the youth, and many of you would have heard of Camp Wilkin at Anglesey. From what I heard at Uncle Ray's funeral, which wasn't very long ago, it was mainly his vision and drive that has brought that campsite to what it now is. And thousands upon thousands of young people have been touched by the gospel there. Again, I go, what if? What if my uncle and auntie had said to God, nah, farming and tennis is more important than you. Farming and tennis take precedence over you. But they didn't. Then I thought I'd mention my dad. (laughs) Looks like a bookkeeper, doesn't he? Ah, dear. Dad initially worked on his father's farm, leaving school at 13. And my dad gave his life to God at the age of 16 at the Warwick Nabil Convention. And um, look at this. That's Dad's little... New Testament, which he bought, obviously, at 17 years of age. The date's in here. I find that pretty cool. Dad always had a keen interest in photography. He had a number of hobbies, but um, he had a very keen interest in photography and film. And as a young boy, I remember quite often on a Friday or a Saturday night, saying bye to Dad, he'd drive off to who knows where and um, it could have been Chaparrot or Rainbow, could have been Banjarang, you know where that is, Wilker South, Cry Melon, you know that one. 
Jurang, Jurang. Anyway, away he'd go. Back then, there was no electricity out in the bush. Each farm had their own generating and lighting plant. And our power plant at home was portable. It was mounted on a trailer. Not 32 volts, as most farms were on. So he'd hitch that on the back of the car and head off. And he had a 16mm movie projector. Cinema quality. Not the old uh, standard 8, whatever it was called. Um, But a cinema quality movie projector. And he would hire films. And I remember going to the railway station to pick up these, pick up a film and a big leather case, so high. And, and inside was a big reel of film. And they were always Billy Graham evangelistic films. And he would show them to crowds of people who would gather at a hall or a church or a home. And I often wonder how many people were challenged to give their lives over to God. Only God knows. But what a unique ministry. Dad was not a public speaker, but he found a niche where he could minister, where he could reach out and where God could use his passion and his gifts and talents. I guess Romans 12 Says a little bit about our gifts. Romans 12, 3 to 8. And it says, for by, for by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of you Each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. And if it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Dad could have stayed home on a Saturday night. Nana and Grandpa could have said no to God. And the person who saw their need could have left them be. But no, that didn't happen. I guess by this stage of this message, you may be thinking, yeah, but God would have used somebody else. He would have found another way. And that's very true. However, all those who claim to follow Christ are called to be his ambassadors. We are given the task of being ministers of, of reconciliation, light in the darkness. Look, I do not hold my family up as being special or praiseworthy. That's not the reason for this message. I tell you this because it is all part of my story. It is a story of the power of the gospel, 
the pure grace of God and also individual obedience to his will and to his call which he, which he puts upon all of us, all who follow him. So let me continue. And I've just pulled out some of my family. This is not to lessen the call of God on their walk and their ministry. And it's fascinating what's going on with others that I won't even mention. Uh, nephews and nieces and some of my kids. And quite a number of them are doing great things in obedience to him. So my dad, Gordon, married Grace. And I still can't get over my mum's name. Grace Christian. What a name. So he married mum in 1949. Between them, they created eight children, four of each. And we grew up as farmers' kids in the Mallee, about eight kilometres north of Grandad's farm. We were Mallee kids. And I'm proud of that. So um, on the right, yes, the right, is Glenda. My mum and dad, obviously, at the front. <laughs> Glenda on the right, Julie, Sheila and Carol, and then little Stevie back there in the corner, and David, Philip and myself. Mum and Dad were very, very mission-focused on worldwide missions. And as kids, we were exposed to the world of missions at a young age. Michos would stay at our farm. They'd, they'd come and stay there. They would come for meals. They would come and hold meetings at our place. Um, and so as kids, we would be enthralled by some of the stories and missionary service was ingrained into us. Full-time work for God was never far from our minds. A few years later, there we are. Gosh, that's not good, is it? Um, lost a bit of hair, some of us. So my little brother Stephen, the one on the right, right out there, <coughs> here's number seven. As a young man, he began as a youth pastor at Horsham Church of Christ. He is now the senior pastor at Toowoomba North Church of Christ and has been for the last 18 years. It's a good-sized church, two services on a Sunday, three to 400 at each service. Stephen is a very caring and very giving and humble man. And I just go, wow, that's my little brother isn't God good? Look at what God is doing through Steve's ministry. And again, I go, what would Steve be doing now? Or would he even exist if that person who invited my grandparents to hear the gospel, what if they hadn't invited them? A lot of what ifs, isn't there? As I mentioned, our family had a bent towards missions. Glenda, my sister, which is Glenda there, uh, second from the left. <clears throat> she um, 
she and Steve, her husband, spent quite a number of years in Zambia and later at Malawi training and equipping evangelists and pastors. Philip, my brother and Donna, the same Bible college in Zambia as well. How many pastors, how many evangelists, how many people have come to faith because of their ministry? I don't know. And then lastly, I mentioned my older sister, Carol. Carol gave her heart to God at 10 years of age and told him she was his to go wherever he wanted. Carol from the Mali met Phil. And um, I think the next slide, that's Phil there on the right, sitting with Fulani tribesmen. She met Phil, the son of a dairy farmer at Geelong. So I'd just like to read to you from a SIM magazine, <clears throat> which is dated Tuesday the 25th of July. So it's only just lately, 2023. Let me read this to you. <clears throat> there is a least reached nomadic and semi-nomadic people group spread out over the Sahel, S-A-H-E-L. And Niger is, Niger is part of that area. They are frequently on the move and live in remote areas that are particularly challenging to reach. The welfare of their herds is their top priority and they are protective of their culture. As a young couple, Phil and Carol heard about this group that had been forgotten by Christian mission. Weekly markets in the bigger towns would attract thousands of these nomads, but there was no Christian witness to tell them about God's salvation plan. Since responding in obedience 49 years ago, Phil and Carol have been working and living among these people to make Christ known. Believing that God had called us, we arrived in the country with a vision to bring them the gospel. We felt so inadequate and so ill-prepared, they said. Phil and Carol first needed to learn the language and the culture. While some advised them to learn the trade language, they had a conviction that they should learn the mother tongue. There was no language school, so they benefited from language helpers and living closely to the people. At first, the people were suspicious of us, they explained. So we would go to the local markets to meet them and get to know them and to socialise around wells where they must go every day to water their herds and collect water for their domestic use. This helped to foster trust and then we were invited to their encampments. They are a very hospitable people and particularly mindful of strangers Acquaintances soon became friends. Phil and Carol had a base in a prominent market town and built cornstalk guest shelters to welcome those who came to the market. And they adopted the local dress and were sensitive to their cultural practices. From the outset, we shared with them that we are followers of Jesus and we had come to share with them God's plan of forgiveness, how he had kept his promise to Abraham. And they knew about Abraham. 
that through his seed all nations of the earth would be blessed, and that included them. Trained as a nurse, Carol used her medical knowledge to care for people in remote communities. Phil and Carol saw God's faithfulness at work and witnessed how he used drought, famine and loss of herds to prepare one clan in the 1980s to embrace the good news. After two herders initially believed a few weeks later, they had gathered 70 heads of families to hear the gospel. Subsequently, many believed as the message spread among that clan. Today, there are literally thousands of believers in that region. With local ministry partners, they also saw how God led them in the development of a Bible training centre to teach and disciple lay people in their mother tongue. More than 150 students have undergone training and some are now working as evangelists among their own people and even crossing, even crossing into other people groups. In 2015, a security threat meant that Phil and Carol had to relocate their main base. After they settled into their new location, God opened a way for them to assist pastoralist communities to dig concrete reinforced wells. The traditionally built wells were collapsing and at times bearing alive the young men cleaning or deepening them. They shared... This has led to many opportunities to show the love of Jesus and to make known the gospel among completely unreached peoples. Showing how much we care for them opens the door to relationships and to sharing the message from kings and chiefs to the common people, herders, men, women and children, to the whole of the community. They go on to say, in March, so that was March this year, we were invited by a king to attend a festival for herders. It's a big festival in a location predominantly populated by four pastoralist people groups. We felt overwhelmed by the friendliness of so many people we met. We were surprised that they were surprised, sorry, that we spoke their language and dressed like them. People we'd never met before in this remote region said, you must come and visit us in our camps. The other people groups were open and friendly too, wanting us to visit with them and chat in their tent homes, which they had erected for the occasion to display something of their culture and customs. Three of these people groups have no one working amongst them there. Imagine what could happen if someone responds to God's call to make disciples among them as well. That's a little exciting news, I think, and wonderful. Hear what God's doing. You know, we despair sometimes of what we see here in this country and that. God is working. God is working. So I do not bring this message to you today to lift up or to honour, to glorify family members, as I said before. No, definitely not. This is a story. It's a true story of God's grace. It's a true story of God's grace and compassion. 
It's a story of God's faithfulness. Sorry. It's a story of God's faithfulness down through the generations. It's a story of his power and his might, which is reached right across the world. It's a story of obedience to his call, of knowing what it means to be ministers of reconciliation. It's a story of understanding and acting on, for we are Christ's ambassadors. This is a story of praise and honour and glory to a mighty God. But there's a sad footnote. Not all of Nana and Grandpa's descendants have followed or are following Christ. When Nana passed away in 2008, there was 104 descendants. Quite a number since, and I've lost track. But some chose not to follow Christ. Some are in the wilderness. And for some, the chain, that chain, I guess if you've, as I've spoken, you know, you've seen that chain down through the generations. And for some of us, it's still going five generations later. But for others, that chain has been broken. And I find that incredibly sad. What happens with their children and their children and their children? There are millions upon millions upon millions of people across the globe who have no understanding of God's love for them, who do not realise that there is a spiritual battle going on which involves their life and involves their soul. So in conclusion, what has, been, what has God been saying? What God has been saying to me, sorry, and I trust to you also, is that he has entrusted to you and I that ministry of reconciliation. So what does that mean? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? How do I go about that? As we engage with people, We are to show and demonstrate love, care, compassion, grace, etc., as Christ indeed has shown us. In the small things, day by day, just living it. And not to so much focus on results, for it is God who brings the increase, but to always be ready to give an answer, always ready to share the love of God. And if you struggle with that, work on it, for it is indeed your lifeblood. It's who you are as a Christian, and it can be the lifeblood of others. And thirdly, be aware of and listen to the Holy Spirit. How often do we put aside or ignore the promptings or don't even realise that it is the Holy Spirit? How often do we put aside those promptings that God might be saying to us? 
I'm so glad. I'm so incredibly thankful that whoever that was who saw a need in my grandparents did not ignore that. Now, as Fred Hollow says, you all know Fred Hollow, great eye surgeon, every eye is an eye. And every person is a person. Every soul is a soul. We have the words of life. Look at what happened once Nana and Grandpa gave their hearts and their lives to God. The gospel is powerful. It's life-changing. And God is with us as we do that. And lastly, what is God saying to us as a church? What is he saying to us as a family of Christ followers? I believe he is calling us to look at the way we do outreach. Is it our focus, even? You know, as a church over many years, it's obvious there have been some huge leaps of faith. There has been some real serious vision come from this church and from the people within this church. We have supported, encouraged and prayed for missions across the globe. And I believe North Haven was built and started by this church from people with a vision from this church. Then there's a Christian college. Wonderful. Fantastic. We've got the garden next door and we get to see that being used the way the vision, I guess, was brought into Brendan's mind. Um, But we can't sit back now and rest on our laurels. There is work to be done. There's a mission field right here, right now, on our doorstep. And culture has changed and we struggle to work out how to relate and how to engage. So is there a new way? Is there another way? I guess his dad found a unique way to minister. Is there another way that we can relate to the outside, to the... <coughs> those outside of the kingdom? Is there a unique opportunity of outreach? Is God calling us to be innovative, stretching our thinking? If he's not, then maybe we need to start inquiring and asking him. So let us be excited. Let us be strong. Let us be encouraged and let us be bold as we individually... And as a family, search out and bow to his will. Let me pray. Lord, we come to you. We come before you and we bow before you. And Lord, we repent of apathy. We repent of maybe not caring so much. Maybe ignoring what you've been saying to us. 
And Lord, we seek your guidance. We ask you to give us a vision for this town, for this area. We ask you, Lord, to help us to be focused and not to look back, to stir our hearts, to wake us up, that we might draw on your power and lean on you in faith as you lead us. And Lord, help us to march forward boldly into the future in confidence, in confidence in you and in your strength. And Lord, as we look back on this story, we thank you that we can see your hand, your faithfulness, your power, your your guidance. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love and your care and your compassion, your grace, your mercy and your forgiveness upon our lives. And Lord, we lift your name high. We worship you, the King of kings, the great I am, our saviour, our redeemer, our comforter, our guide. We lift you high and we worship you. And Lord, we ask that you bring in, give us a new vision. Create in us a new heart, a heart that is keen to do your will, to be your ambassadors, to realise that we have that ministry of reconciliation and that there are so many lost people out there who need you. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.